You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hang on a minute, everybody. We've hit a technical snag. John's still muted as well. Hello, John. Hello. You were coughing all the way through that intro. Ah, uh, no, I know, I know. Got a tickly throat. Well, there we go. I'm still, I'm still recovering from Dodmaster. This is the problem. <laughs> my, my fingers aren't where they should be, so to speak. <laughs> anyway, you know, we left that humour behind on Friday night, yeah. young man. I'm going to have to make this a nice clean start now, otherwise it's going to be horrendous to edit for the audio podcast. Yep. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. My fingers are not in... uh, They're here. Just to reassure all our our, our viewers at home. Um, We've... um, We've got a. Uh, we're going to. Um, we're calling these our Lions special podcasts over the next uh, kind of month and a bit, um, because unlike last time there was a Lions too, we're actually going to talk about the Lions and not anything but the Lions, which is quite exciting because there are Scottish players in the Lions. And uh, joining me this evening, a man who once uh, talked about uh, a cruise with who was it? Was it Michael Ball or um, John Virgo? I think it was John. We found a cruise with. Four years ago to talk about instead we, of the lines. We did, yes. I mean, we. I mean, let's be honest. The quality of the part of last uh, four years ago was outstanding. There was some seriously good stuff. Um, my particular highlight was the the lion tamer episode where we 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 learned how to be lion tamers, which was quite good. That was, of course, we did that. Yes, that was great. That was great. That was upskilling. Like now, I know how to face <laughs> a lion. Can you remember any of it? Uh, no, but like. It's it's in there somewhere. Like I think, I think if... one of them was definitely do not like the lion directly in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking it was looking them in the eyes. I think we're probably gonna be. I don't. Know. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't think uh, it's not nothing stuck with me, John. So I'm not. I'm not no. about to climb into a cage with a lion. <laughs> Speaking of lions, though, we have we've got two uh, lions with not actual lions. Lions of chat. Let's call them that. <laughs> Wow, I've never been described as that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so we've got Craig Manson with us. Hello, Craig. Hi, all. How you doing? And and joining us, um, star of Dodmaster, um, although he did come in last place. Um, <laughs> it's second last place. Second last place, sorry. Um, Naked Sam came last, didn't he? I think Robbie came last. No, he did. Yeah. You're right. Robbie did come last. Yeah, did he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got Johnny McGinty. Good evening, Johnny. 
Hello, good evening. Yes. Um, so um, we've got um, a bit to get through this evening. Um, if you are watching us, you can watch us on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. If you're watching live, get involved in the comments. We've already got a couple coming already. Hello to uh, Andy Lone. Good evening, Andy. Um, and also, I think it's Alan McDonald who's lurking around, although he hasn't he hasn't registered on Facebook to give us his name, but um, he says John needs a swab. We, we need to have a word with Alan and get him sorted because his partner on Friday was really good, but he obviously just got credit as generic Facebook user, which, you know, I, I, want, I, want, I want more for him. Yeah, you need to click on the button, Alan, that gives gives Facebook permission to share your username with us. Otherwise, you're just going to be generic Facebook user all night. Um, ah, that's where I went wrong then, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was thinking the I same commented a couple of times and I, just, uh, I was generic I, Facebook I user. Cammy, Maybe I should do that. Cammy had given a user guide at one point to to uh, get everybody in the correct uh, setup, but maybe we need to do a refresher course, Cam. We'll do. We'll send that out to our patrons. Speaking of our patrons, and that's where Alan is speaking to us from, which is why he's down as generic Facebook user. Ah. Um, if you sign up to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Podcast for £3 a month, you get access to our secret Facebook page. You get access to exclusive content and episodes later this well. This month? Is it no, it's not July yet. July tomorrow, isn't it? July, July tomorrow. tomorrow. July tomorrow. So next month, as we record this, but this month, as you're probably listening to this, um, you we're gonna do a special on uh, the, the greatest ever Scottish Lions. So me and John are gonna to have to do a wee bit of research for that. Um and we also give you ad-free versions of the audio podcast, and you get a wee mini podcast as well, where we cut out me talking about what I'm doing with my fingers off camera <laughs> and stuff like that, and just focus focus purely on the rugby. Um we are also sponsored by Manscaped. This is our, I think this is going to be our last Manscaped podcast. Is it? John. Oh, so pull, pull one out, pull one out for the gentleman grooming oh. products. Yeah, yeah. And so, here is yeah. me. I was going to invest in some gentleman products as well, gentleman grooming products well, as well. I know. And uh, maybe, well, maybe they if, need to maybe we need to continue their sponsorship. Maybe if you um, do that, the they'll podcast. continue. That's yeah, what you know, we need to do. If, if you want to, then if you go to manscaped.com slash scottish rugby or go to manscaped.com and put the code srp in at the checkout you get 20 percent off plus free shipping on a range of gentlemen's grooming products i think that will still be going tomorrow if it doesn't work at the checkout then we're no longer sponsored by manscaped if it does work <laughs> it'll persuade them to extend the sponsorship for another month which would be lovely obviously nice. and and then you have to put up or maybe i don't know it'll depend maybe people don't like this bit of the podcast where we talk about our grooming regimes john <laughs> Do you know? I think it's. I think it's been a mixed bag. I think we've had. A <laughs> is bag the right is, is bag the right word or sack? <laughs> I mean, you, you your mind is obviously in the gutter, Mister Cam. Um, My mother no, listens to this podcast. Absolutely no. I think it's it's been good. We've talked about some serious issues as well. You know, we've, we have raised some 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 issues around kind of testicular health. Uh, we've we've talked about how Manscaped do support testicular charities as well. So it's it's been a bit of fun. We've enjoyed ourselves. Been, but, and we we never got to the bottom of whether or not grooming downstairs or even shaving your legs improves athletic performance. Johnny, do you do you, <coughs> do you shave for performance? Uh more for aesthetic than performance, if I'm honest. I've got quite hairy legs and I've never I've never figured that I might reduce my drag. You yeah. never know. You it never might know. it might make that might make that half a second of difference. Catch me up, Craig. 
<laughs> certainly, if he if he does shave his legs, he might be able to be a drag. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I think it does seem more of a backs thing. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, there is, there is rules against yeah. it. There's rules against it. If you are if you are a forward and you go down that route of kind of that regime, I think there probably is a, a, a lot of props out there with awards for that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. And I say award in the loosest possible way. Probably horrible, <laughs> horrible pints have been consumed. Fines, yeah, fines have been given. Yeah, um, we do do a section on the podcast. We haven't had any for a while. Speaking of um, fines, uh, of crap call offs. And now that training's back on, and now that we're approaching the the new season, we invite anybody to name and shame fellow players, coaches, um, committee members even, who've given rubbish reasons for calling off games, meetings, training. So get in touch. I understand Johnny's cried off training tonight to do a podcast, for example. (laughs) Well, yeah. I'm torn as to whether that's crap or not. lovely. You, you've said you're retired about five or six times so far, though, Craig. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's it's lovely. You know, obviously, it's lovely to have you here, Johnny. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna class that as a crap call off. <laughs> um, so in terms of news, there's nothing kind of we probably just kind of worth launching straight into the lines. Should we Should we do the jingle? Oh yes, yes please. Let's let's do the jingle. It's the legally mandated lines chat. The legally mandated lions chat. We've heard so much about it that it makes us sick. But we've still got a chat about who Gatlin's gonna pick. Yes, it's legally mandated lions chat. Um, we have to talk about the lions because it is lions that time every four years where where it comes around. Um, the, should we deal with the news first, and then we'll go on and talk about the game? That kind of probably works its way out. Um, obviously, Adam Jones and um, are both injured, um, and their tours are over. Um, so Connor Murray is now the Lions captain. Um, I don't. Know, I'm going to come to you first, Craig, as a forward. Arms <laughs> as captains, and particularly Lions captains going to South Africa. I mean, you know, famously Martin Johnson was chosen as captain in '97 because. Ian McGeekin wanted a, a, an imposing physical presence. I'm not sure that Conor Murray's up to, I don't know, physically intimidating even as Ben. No, I, I don't think so. I think, I, I think though, however, um, and I've I've seen a lot of differing opinions on the subject over the last uh, the last few um, the last few weeks. But for me, um, I think that he's saying that he's he's. Um, going to be helped by the leadership group that he has. He has such a lot of strong leaders on the, in the group anyway, so I think that's uh, how he's going to work it. Um, but I think also someone who's who's been a tourist for the third time, I think he, he is. He's one of those players, I think, that's been in the background of everyone saying, ah, there's no chance Conor Murray would ever be captain. And, uh, and you never talk about him, and then all of a sudden... As Gatland usually does, he's surprised he comes out out the cupboard with somebody something new, and and there he is. It's uh, Connor Murray, but I think he'll do a good job. I think uh, any Lions captain that's chosen, I don't, I don't, I don't really remember any any Lions captain that's been not very good. So I think uh, I think he's got experience, and I think he'll do a, a good job. I hope. Um, obviously, Johnny, he's going to be 
in and around and near the referee at breakdown, so he's in a position to talk to him. You, you're an advocate, though, of the fullback as the captain. I don't know, there's a certain personal interest there. Um, but, I mean, is Hoggy unlucky because he's maybe the only other one of the other players that's guaranteed or certainly probably guaranteed a start? Has Johnny frozen? Johnny, Johnny has frozen. Is, or is he lost in thought? I, I froze very quickly, very briefly. No, I. Uh, I don't know if he's unlucky. He was definitely he was a contender, but there's there was probably three or four really really obvious contenders, and you can see why you wouldn't you wouldn't have him because he is a bit further away. Like there's there's no getting away from it. He's further back from the action because it's, it's probably you're looking at him, Murray, Itoji, or Ken Owens were, would have been the options, and he is the furthest away. There's like <coughs> there's there's no way around that. He probably is the best at speaking to the referee of the four of them. But then you've got to balance out the fact that he, he's got to come all the way from fullback to speak to him. So. And it depends on the referee, doesn't it? Because we saw that, I think, for Scotland, John, that at times the referees were happy to speak to the you know the, the leader of the forwards. Yeah. Um, Fraser Brown was kind of fulfilling that role. And then there was, I can't remember what game it was, where the referee insisted that he jog 50 yards up the pitch to come and have a chat. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, as you say, it's, it's down to interpretation. Uh, the captain should always be given the opportunity to come and come and speak. But as you're saying, it's more about can Will or F allow the wider leadership group to talk? Um, you would hope in that situation they would. But I think it's the full-back at captain thing. Sorry, Johnny. It's, it, it's just not for me. But, uh, but then scrum half as captain's not for me either. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a Bodden Snorter's second row for captain. It's honest. interesting you, you raised um, Mario Toji there, Johnny, and that's interesting. I think because there's certainly been some chat. Obviously, the, the, you know you feel for the marketing guys that have had to go and kind of shift all their branding and everything that they've got set up for the tour. Presumably, Sky are frantically photoshopping Conor Murray's head on Alan Wynne Jones's <laughs> shoulders and stuff for for all the images. But you know, Alan Wynne Jones is maybe a player that permeates outside of rugby. Um, Maro Toji certainly is Stuart Hogg maybe, but I'm I'm not. I don't know that Conor Murray is <laughs> like unless you're Irish, but I don't you know, know in the wider outside of rugby. I uh, I tested this theory on my wife earlier on because oh. she does she does watch rugby. She watches like probably as much as me. Um, doesn't has- doesn't consume it to like the nose like level that I do. But I showed her a picture of Alan Wynne Jones and a picture of Conor Murray this afternoon. And when I said, who's that? She looked at the picture of Alan Wynn and was like, it's Alan Wynn Jones. Like, even seemed kind of confused that I'd even ask her. And then I showed her Conor Murray and I said, who's that? She said, I have no idea. D- mm. Did you, though, show her Conor Murray's standing leg? Because <laughs> <laughs> at that point, everyone recognises him. She did, to be fair, she did say if, she, if he'd had his Ireland kit or his Lions kit on, she probably would have known who he was. But it was just a random picture and she had no idea. Yeah. And she and she's not like a total knows nothing about rugby, has no interest. She watches all the games, watches all the Six Nations, watches most of the Pro Fourteen, but like identified Alan Wynn straight away and Conor Murray. She's just like, yeah, I don't know. So I wonder why though. I mean, that they haven't gone with the Toji though, Craig. Because that would have been my automatic choice. Everyone was talking about him beforehand, and I know he's not had captaincy experience with England or Saracens but that's never stopped Lions captains before and it hasn't stopped him with Conor Murray certainly and he's maybe he's got that physical presence he's probably 
one of your nailed on test starters already. It's maybe surprising that they haven't gone with him. It's a, I think on my side of things, I feel that um, you're, you're looking at a cat in a Toji. First of all, um, he is an absolute, how can I put it? He is incredibly, um, I'm trying to put it politely and not swear, but he, he can be That's really it. in your face and he can be, <laughs> he, he can be a nose and he can be a real pain in the backside to, to, and, and also turn the game, the referee against the team that he's playing for. So there, there is that concern. Um, Connor Murray just is, is exactly the same as, as, as I told you to be uh, when it comes to, um, uh, no captaincy experience, etc. But I think I told you a mixture of that plus he's only been in camp for a certain amount of time. He's not been in camp as long as Connor Murray. So for me, I would have thought Connor Murray's got more of a chance if he's got everybody on board already. Um, and uh, that's probably the reason that they've gone down that route. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, okay, fair enough. I, I'm very much plus. I think he's going to do a great job. But I, I'm not a fan of a, a, a nine as your uh, as your captain anyway because I'm fed up listening to them. <laughs> it was it was telling actually that on when when Alleman went off, it wasn't Conor Murray who took up the captaincy. It was it, no. was, it was Ken Owens, yeah. and that that would have been my choice. Like that was for me, that was a no brainer. He's got captaincy experience. He's he's a leader. Uh, he's Murray, Ken the sheriff. You can't stick Ken on a poster though. Maybe <laughs> that's what came into it. <laughs> That's that's true, actually. Yeah, maybe it is the market. Although we have mask on, he would. He would. It would be very interesting to hear him in a press conference, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, True. It's. I mean, the one worry, I suppose, from a Scottish perspective, John, is we know where does this leave Ali Price? Because you know we we've all been talking up his chances, saying he was the form. British and Irish nine coming in, you know, coming out of the Six Nations. Conor Murray's kind of maybe getting getting past it a little bit, but you know, how how easy is it to drop your captain? Well, that, that's absolutely it. I mean, Gatlin does have previous on it, but you would expect that you pick a captain based on the idea that they are they should be a nailed on test starter. And it is, I think, it's a real shame for Ali Price because Conor Murray was awful on Saturday. I, I really, really hate watching Conor Murray. Admittedly, he's, he's playing a game plan. It's, uh, it's just so dull, and you've got all that attacking talent outside him, and he's just kicking it in the air. Come on! So, I mean, and Ali Price didn't do much when he came on, but you know, it was he had twenty minutes, and Japan were rampant by that point. So, I think. Do you know what? I think Murray Murray is now nailed on, and like Gatlin's obviously he's chose that hill to go and rest upon. So we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, speaking of the Scottish uh, players' performances at the weekend, uh, obviously Xander Ferguson was a late call off. Uh, Hamish Watson was out with concussion, so we had uh, Duhan and uh, Rory Sutherland on the um, play, starting fifteen and Ali Price off the bench. So Andy Lowen says. I thought Rory Sutherland and Duhan Vandermeer were played well last Saturday and hoping they get run out with Xander this Saturday. Uh, Johnny, you were actually at the match. You were in the lucky few. Um, from your good. position in the stands, how did you feel that Sutherland and Vandermeer went? I was uh, I was instantly impressed with Suz. I thought he had a really good game. Um, there was a moment as well where the Lions had a line out and he was... He was kind of biting a little bit at his opposite number because his opposite number wasn't keeping space and Suds just turned around a couple of times and shoved him. <laughs> quite, quite, so it's nice to see a bit of fire from him. Um, Duhan got a lot of stick for 
his positioning and the way he was giving Matsushima the outside. And people obviously saying, you know, you can't do that to Matsushima and you definitely can't do it to Colby. But I watched and he was, and he was, he was really narrow and he seemed quite flat footed against Matsushima outside, but he was doing it every single time. Now, you don't get to be a professional player, let alone an international and certainly not a lion, if you're making what looks like that simple a positioning mistake every single time. So I think we obviously don't know what the game plan is and what the defensive strategy was, but I can only assume that he was told to play like that because it was mm-hmm. literally... I, a couple of people have, have said, oh, two or three times I've seen Duhan give the outside up to Matsushima and he's just going to burn him. And I was looking and it was almost every single time. So I think rather than it being a mistake that Duhan was making, I think it's, it was part of the, the game plan. It can only have yeah. Someone pointed this out in the comments on our, our super secret Facebook page. Um, it was Gordon McCracken said, that kind of space isn't going to be down to the actions of a single player. And whenever the Japanese tried to utilize it, Duhan shoved them into touch or made a tackle anyway. People are going to say, oh, well, the Springboks will utilize the space better. The player Duhan was opposite was uh, Matashima. He's not some no-name aperture. If there was space, he'd have taken it. I think that's probably... I, I, I think you're right, Johnny. I think if, you know, if, if Duhan was positioning was wrong then is out the person outside or inside of him is going to be shoving him out and telling him to to fill the space in that no nobody outside nobody inside of him is going to be saying oh you're all right there if he's not yeah so and he, he always defends like that and scotland have come up against good wingers since him and steve tandy have been in and they haven't conceded a lot of tries so it's it's pretty much I would say nailed on that that's the way that they're that they're playing to defend. I don't think that Duhan is making a mistake. I think he's been told to play like that. It's in, there was an interview with Steve Tandy, or I don't think it was Steve Tandy. I think it was um, I think it might have been Jamie Lyle had gone and spoken on Rugby Pass had gone and spoken to um, different people have worked with Steve Tandy over the years, Craig. And one of the things they talked about is Steve Tandy's got this idea of zonal defence rather than for your man. So you wonder whether that's kind of what was in play there, that rather than you stand, you know winger standing on the wing up against his opposite number, Duhan's been given a zone to defend, which is between him and the touchline, and he can make that zone as, as big as he feels he he can afford to and still be able to catch his guy or, or turn on his heels and, and push him in touch. It's, it's, it's definitely, a, just as Johnny said, um, it, it, it's surely got to be a game plan of some kind. And, and every time, you know, as uh, every time Matsushima came out to him, he had him, you know. So I think it's almost a an an invitation. If you've got someone, for example, if you're coming up against Reece Samet or you're coming up against Colby, you, you you're almost inviting them. There's your space, use it, and you've got them covered. Um, and then you've got the ball turned over to your ball again. Um, so if, it's better, well, if you can get them in the touch, or you 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 get yourself a turnover against them, which Duhan is very very strong over the ball as well. So. I I I could I can only agree on that one. I can only say that I, I think that's the, the that's the plan. Uh, and Tandy is very very set on his on his plan of his defence. But I think it's done wonders for Scotland, and I think I'm, I'm hoping it's going to do the job for uh, for the Lions. Yeah, it was interesting in attack as well, John, with Duhan that, that he, he went looking for for a lot of work. That's how he got his you know his try when he kind of yep. Bit of a poach at the back of the ruck, and, and away he went. It, he's obviously been given permission to do that. You would assume. Ah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it was smart, smart heads up rugby. But I think 
what has been lost in a lot of translation is the the power of work he's put in beforehand. Because despite the commentator's insistence that it was Mr. Williams carrying, uh, Duhans put a huge carry up on the left wing before tracking the whole length of the park to get round and and, and score the try. So, um, I, I his work rate was phenomenal, and it was great to see him looking for ball. It was great to see him taking defenders, and and it's it's the sort of physical. You know, when you've got centres who maybe aren't, like, say, for example, you've got maybe a, a Farrell playing, you're not going to see that crash ball from him. I mean, as funny as it would be, it would be beautiful. <laughs> kind of want to see it, but, but you know, a big guy like Duhan going looking for work, engaging some of the South African defenders, I, I, it can only be a good thing. Um, and I totally, totally agree with you guys. It is clearly a game plan. It was happening on the other wing as well, which people conveniently forgot, so... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll ask you this, and I'm going to move on to something else, Craig. But how does that feel watching Duhan go and do work, um, and being given permission to do that, Craig, compared to what how he's utilised at Edinburgh? And that's not a dig, by the way. It's an invitation to kind of talk about you know the limitations of Edinburgh's attack strategy, I guess. Oh yeah, but then uh, you know he's he has been doing a lot of this with Edinburgh over this over the last couple of seasons. He has been looking for the ball. But I think it's because he has to go looking for the ball, um, because he's if he start if he if he if he continues to be um, the standard winger who's standing outside, hands in the pocket, freezing cold because he's not getting the ball. He, he's not he, he's there to impress. He's get he's had his second chance with 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 Edinburgh and he's taken it. Now he's got this chance with the Lions and he wants to be in the Test team because obviously he's n- no disrespect to him because he's worth the money, but he's looking for his payday because he's been. Struggling to get the PD with all of his all of his injuries, etc., and all the problems he's had when he was in uh, South Africa. So I think he's he's driven for the the more he has the ball in hand, the more strength he he shows, the more um, yards he gains or meters he gains, um, the more he is making Worcester Warriors look like they've they've, they've uh, spent very very good money. You know. Yeah, there was a lovely video, Johnny, of of him talking about how much it means to him to play for the Lions and his journey, the Lions had put up where he kind of almost breaks down halfway through. And I suppose we don't, you know, we're, we're, we're a relatively woke bunch. So I think we're more alert to, um, you know, uh, the, the issues of people choosing different nationalities and we're, we're sympathetic to that. But for, to see him react like that was, um, it was a difficult watch actually, I suppose, to, to kind of see someone kind of respond directly to the criticism they've had. It was, and it was really nice. Like he he deserves this shot. He's been he's been great since he came in, and we we've all been counting the days for for him to get into the Scotland team, and then to see him progress so quickly into the Lions, I think is absolutely brilliant. And I just don't understand where people get off with that sort of thing. And it's the same, you know, it's the exact same sort of thing that Bundy Aki gets, and and he I think he deserves it every bit as much as Duhan does. I think it's great to see them. And it was really, really nice to see him to see him react and just to say like it it means so much to him because it obviously does and it's great. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, Ali Price, John, you mentioned obviously got twenty minutes off the bench. Yep. Um, maybe a shame he didn't get a little bit longer because I didn't think Corey Murray had a great game early on. There's a couple of wee kind of mistakes and I think he was lucky that um, Bigger was able to clear at one point. Yeah, I mean, if you if you do the classic. Um, forensic analysis that uh, Scottish players tend to face in these in these areas. I mean, he got charged down, so he's now the worst scrum half in the world. Um, 
you know, he he maybe wasn't leading his troops as fast and getting the ball away as quickly as he could have. His box kicks weren't as contestable as they could have been. Do you know, I, I thought he had a poor game, but that's I I always think he has a poor game because I hate him. But that's <laughs> just that's just me. And do you know what? I will take the abuse for that. I don't care. Um, I was surprised Price didn't get a wee bit longer, but then there was an element of Japan coming back into the game at that point, and I think there might have been with them losing Tipperick and Alwyn so early, the front row had been changed or was in the pro- process of being changed at that point. So I think there was maybe just an element of let's steady things a wee bit and then get Price on. But I mean, it didn't steady that much. It was, it was fairly, fairly poor at that point. Yeah. Do you get, um, John, do you get a sense of how the Lions might be playing? Do you think, or was that kind of very much a let's just kind of throw some lads on the pitch and see how it goes kind of against Japan? I, I really hope it's not how the Lions are going to play because, <laughs> um, or, or, you know, it was. Uh, I really, really loathe the box kicking game that has a purpose and we, we've talked about it at length. You know, good box kicks are worth their weight. But when you've got that level of talent, you've got that pack, you've got a Japanese team who, you know, every time, every time you made progress, um, you broke the game line when you when you put the ball through the hands. It was, it'll be interesting to see when they come up against maybe some of the provincial sides, how they go about things. I really hope it's not how they're going to play, but naming Murray as captain, I think it is how they're going to play, and I'm going to weep into my arm, bro. <laughs> ah, but you, to be honest, what you've just been saying, you've been talking about over the last couple of things about Ali, about Conor Murray, you could very much label that with Ali Price as well. Um, he's a box kicker. He makes a few mistakes. You know, I think, you know, he, okay, fair enough. He steadied himself a little bit. He's gone from the sort of George Horn, fire and brimstone, make his, make big howlers mistakes as well as some phenomenal play. And, and Townsend has chipped a little bit of the corners off him. But he, Ali Price is very, you know, you look at the game that, um, the England game where, you know, he got charged down twice. Um, with his box kicks, etc. So you could, see, you could, they're all. I'm going to say this, and Johnny's going to start beating his beating his chest and uh, be upset <laughs> with me. But you could almost see, Ali Price is in a similar mould um, to Conor Murray, um, and and he makes the same mistakes. I feel personally. Yeah, could you? I mean, sometimes Johnny, when you're in the stadium, you can get a better idea of the kind of shape that that the teams. A, a format, how they're lining up and how they're kind of taking things in. Did did it? Was there a kind of sense of cohesion, or did it still kind of everything still look a little bit ring rusty to you from where you were sat? I don't think they did anything particularly complex. So what they were doing looked looked pretty crisp, but I don't think they were deep in the playbook. To be honest, I don't. I don't think we learned much at the weekend that we didn't already know. Like we, we know that Dan Bigger's a test player and the way that he controlled the game was what I would kind of expect from him. Um, I think we learned that uh, Ty Byrne for sure is a test player at the weekend because he was phenomenal. Um, the way they used him, I expect, will be the way they'll try and use him once they get to South Africa because he was popping up, obviously, apart from his try, he was popping up in midfield quite a lot and he, he, his carries were phenomenal. Um, but they, I wouldn't say that they were, they were at full throttle on Saturday, put it that way. Yeah. I think they and were working through the first few pages. 
that's maybe quite exciting in a way, like you said, because it, it's hard, I think, with this Lions squad. Although I think maybe we have to put up with quite a lot of slings and arrows as, as Scotland fans that our guys are going to be talked down by the media because we don't, we know, we don't have a a stronger a rugby media in Scotland as, as they do elsewhere. But this Lions tour in particular, Craig, feels less like you could kind of pick the starting 15 at this stage, whereas in I think the last two, maybe you could start to kind of piece it together or see where the things might lie. It, it feels... Every, all positions feel up in the air, maybe. I think there's, a, I think there's definitely a few nailed on, um, but certainly things like um, uh, full-back... Um, centers, etc. Bundyaki showed his showed his talent um, uh, during the game. I thought he carried incredibly well, improved, and kind of was playing the Gatland ball style, um, wanting the, the the strong the strong center to to rattle up, even though he was a, he was outside center rather than inside center. Um, but um, or was he inside center? I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to find mixed he was up. Inside, I think. He was inside centre, um, but uh, definitely, I think there's a few few surprises to be in there. Um, but that's if they get to play their provincial games and through all these different players, and um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, the latest news is there is no news. The apart from the uh, South Africa in a, in, a, in in a further lockdown, but professional sport has been allowed to continue. The suggestion is that they're going to play their test games all in one place. And perhaps even the provincial games in one one place as well. Mm. I think the thing that's been slightly frustrating with the reporting, and this is why you know I think this is true of any time that you send a sports reporter out to a former colony, <laughs> is you get this kind of colonial attitude of they don't know what they're doing out here in South Africa with COVID, and it's like, well, you know, they know as well as you know the UK does. I mean, you know, I know that the reporting maybe isn't up to the same standard as England, but certainly they've had less cases. The vaccination programs aren't at the same start, you know, at the same place as, as it is in the UK. But we're at much of a risk, I think, in the UK as it is in South Africa. And I, I, it, it's frustrating, I think, when you see everybody panicking and people saying things like, "Oh, the Lions Two is definitely not going ahead because they're out there now, and it's you know there oh, will be some for, there, there will be some form of tour." Yeah, you know I mean, I think it kind of feels a little bit. It's like a kind of uh, a throwback to the colonial past, John. That kind of like all oh, these, you know, these these poor people down in South Africa don't don't know what they're doing, and it's not going to go ahead. Where actually, you know, that pro sports going to go ahead. So in one form or another, we're going to get an alliance tour. I don't think it's going to be just the three tests. Whether it's all provincial matches is another thing, but we we are going to get this tour. Yeah, I think I think we absolutely are, and you know, people's people's concern for the tour. Um, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Could be rooted in some form of, well, we say racism. Let's go racism. Uh, let's, go, <laughs> let's go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, people who are maybe looking at South Africa and saying, "Oh, yeah, they're they're not up to scratch," are forgetting that this is actually a the British and Irish Lions is kind of a global brand. There's global partners who are very interested in making sure this goes ahead. There's lots of people collaborating across the world to make sure these sporting events take place in some form, safely or otherwise. So it's it's, it's very narrow-minded to think that it's just South Africa's healthcare systems mince and we're all going to get COVID from it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just stupid. Yeah. 
Um, Andy Lone suggesting all all games and all tests are going to be played in Cape Town because of the rise in COVID, which seems like a fair plan. And maybe some of the players will be cursing Johnny that they've had to ride on what bikes with uh, like gas masks strapped to their face to re- reproduce altitude when they might not have had to. Yeah, it wouldn't be the end of the world though if they moved it all to Cape Town, given that uh, we saw. Cheslin Colby kick a 50-metre drop goal at the weekend. And <laughs> Franz Steen and Henry Pollard have obviously both got a huge boot as well. So if we're going to go out and, and like John says, box kick to them, and we're suddenly now not having to play two games at altitude, that's that's a pretty good thing because we don't want these enormous boots coming back at 2,000 metres or wherever it is Joe Berg's at because we're going to find ourselves pinned in the goal line almost instantly. So let's get down to Cape Town and take some of the altitude off their kicks. That'd be perfect. Yeah, uh, we've got another comment, uh, Gordon McCracken. Hello, Gordon, who we read out your comment earlier from our Super Secret Facebook page. He says, Bigger and Farrell wasn't much of a combo. Both just did their own thing. Be interesting to see if Russell and Farrell play together and what level of cohesion they can show. I mean, we we joked about that, didn't we, John, that when, when Andy Farrell gets out of there, you know, Finn will have Owen on the Blue Smarties. <laughs> <laughs> Full on kind of, you know... Like almost like a, kind of like on speed running rings around the lamp, around the the, the posts. <laughs> not no sure where he is, but um, that it will be. I mean, I think that's you know the the ten position. As much as people outside of Scotland think it's nailed down, I think we would say that it's not. And you almost wonder how that would go. I mean, you, we we know how Greg Laidlaw and Finn Russell work together as the odd couple pairing of the straight-laced guy from Jedburgh and the manic guy, the, you know, the manic former woodsman, you know, who throws ridiculous passes. Stone Mason. Stone Mason. That's what I meant. Same thing. Well, Stone, we, we, wood. We Stone and Woods just, it's a chisel. We, we, chisel we, would and get, we would get letters. I need to correct it. But, but you know, we've seen that. I think that, you know, having somebody who's very focused and controlled either inside or outside of Finn, can work, so it's an inter- it could be an interesting combination. Yeah, I, th- I think it absolutely could be, and you know, it'll be, it's inter- it is really interesting to see how these combinations are maybe going to start to pan out, and particularly in the backs if they are given a platform to explore some of their maybe more creative side. And having Gregor Townsend as attack coach is obviously a great start for that. It will be interesting to see, you know, obviously. All depends on that forward dominance. Whether if the Lions can get any sort of parity up front, then you know guys like Russell might get a chance to to go and uh, make some magic happen. But otherwise, I think we are going to be playing ten man rugby, and it's going to be it's going to be ugly. There was an article, um, Johnny, that in um, I think it was maybe in Rugby Pass or so. The Times, I think, where they talked to players that played against Owen Farrell in the Championship. Talking about how much he talks and how he he abuses his own players, um, and you wonder how that's obviously the way he plays. Obviously, very focal, very passionate guy um, on the pitch. I think Alan Wynne Jones has talked about the first time he played him, and he just kind of started screaming, "Come on, come at me! I'm going to take you!" At Alan Wynne Jones, he bore <laughs> down on him. Um, how that kind of might work, whether or not that's going to grate with someone like Finn Russell or whether it's something Finn Russell can shrug off and just accept, this is who this guy is out of me, I'm just going to tune him out, but we can work well together. Yeah, I thought it was quite weird that he won the vote for the leadership group because I'd, I'd seen the same thing and thought there, there must be a lot of guys on that tour that respond to that. 
but there's some that you, that you can see I don't think would. Like, I, I can't see Finn responded well to that at all. But yeah. you never know, maybe. Maybe he does. Maybe he does just block it out. Maybe yeah, he just goes, oh yeah, well, watch this then. He only got most of the votes because there was, there was a good chunk of English players in the in in the in the voting group I would have thought, you know. Um because I, 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 I don't respond to it. I don't think Finn will respond to it. I think Tooney will not respond to it. I think Tooney's one of those people I know Tooney has been interviewed and said he 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 likes him and he thinks he's going to do a great job. But um I think if you if you he is he is very set likes to work to a set plan whereas even Dan Bigger now who is meant to be um, the the sure thing and meant to be very very controlled. He was throwing missed two missed passes to flat across to Tyburn and things like that, which is a very tuny type of way to play in an attack. So he, uh, I think Farrell's going to have to shape up or ship out really. Um, and he's got. He, he, if he doesn't, there are there are plenty other players on the um, uh, that that have gone out with them that will match up with Finn Russell very very well. Yeah, I mean, is Alan McDonald suggesting the fact that Marcus Smith had a letter as the only thing close to like for like replacement for Finn suggests Finn is seen as having a big role to play, surely? And I think there was that on like you could like Craig said, John, you could see there were that was a Gregor Townsend attack. Yeah, you know of of you know we we plan first couple of phases off off a set move and then just play what's in front of you, lads. When they were given the opportunity to do so, absolutely, and I was, I, you know, bigger. Again, I'm I'm a bit of a critic of Bigger, but I thought he was very very good. Um, he done a lot of lot of very different things to maybe what we've seen from Dan Bigger in the past. I know he's certainly been playing uh, in a different way at club level, which is is obviously a positive. And as you say, he looked a bit bit more up for entertaining. He also set the set the tone. He was really energetic and tried to get them moving at a bit of pace, which um, was really good to see. And, that, that to me suggests that you know there is there is a, a game plan there, and if you're looking for somebody to continue that, then you know I Finn, Finn Russell definitely has a role to play. Will that be bigger at ten, Russell at twelve though? Who knows? Mm. Um, there's a we had a, a, a comment on the Facebook page um, from Jamie Govern, and I think it's a hands in the rock, but we'll, we'll deal with it now. It's a Lions question. We're going to throw this to you, Johnny, as a fullback. Um, Jamie says uh, the amount of uh, pundits and journalists are writing off Hogs Lions prospects, given he didn't start either the semi or the final for Exeter. Now, it's there was something I don't agree with Eddie Jones on much, but one of the things Eddie Jones has kind of famously said is that you don't players don't get dropped. They're just you know you use players in different ways, and sometimes having a player on the bench who can come off the bench and make an impact. It's about using the full kind of twenty-three man on the day squad. So you don't necessarily pick your your best fifteen players to go out and play. You pick your best combinations and you pick your your most impactful bench, I guess. Yeah, and Finn oh, Hoggy, sorry, uh, it was told that he wasn't he wasn't trying hard enough in the the week leading up to the semi. I don't think that a week of not trying and training two weeks before you go to the Lions tour makes you not one of the best fullbacks in the world anymore. I think that's maybe a bit of a stretch. The The worst thing was that then the week leading up to the final, Rob Baxter came out and said, yeah, he's busted all week. He's done everything we've asked him to and more. He's It's lit a fire in him, the fact that I told him he wasn't trying hard enough and I benched him uh, and now he's ready to go and then benched him again. Like, 
Now, I, I don't have the utmost respect in the world for Rob Baxter. In fact, I probably couldn't have much less if I tried. But I did think that was a bit sketch. And to be honest, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it because you're right. Like Jack Knowles, a great player, he's a liar as well. Like you can't you can't forget that. So if, if he fit into the game plan better to be the starter, and they thought Hoggy had more of an X factor off the bench, then that makes sense. And then on the other hand, I don't really care what Rob Baxter says as well. So, <laughs> I've, uh, as coach one hundred and one for me is you don't make an example of one of your players who's doing badly in public. And that was going to be one of my that was going to be my hands in the ruck was Rob Baxter out in public slating Hoggy for not trying hard enough. You go and you have a word with your player and you do what you want to do on uh, in private. But I thought that was up that, that showed the character of the coach um, to come out and and okay, fair enough, you'll be badgered by by um, by the press asking why is Hoggy not in the team. But I just I, I just thought that was absolutely just. That was a poor move. Yeah, like um, you said, it doesn't take much, does it, to say to for the answer to why is Hoggy not in the team? Because it does, you know, because it fits our game plan to bring him off off the bench after a certain period of time. That's all you need to say. You don't need to go into any, any further, do you? You get more out of the player. Yeah, you get more out of the yeah. player if you if you you know. Well, I from what I can tell and from 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 my my very basic um, experience, you get more out of the player having a word with them and talking to them one to one than than letting the whole world know. Um, and I, I thought it was just a, a, a bad move. Well, yeah. Let's be honest, um, Stuart Hogg does have previous and not responding well to this sort of criticism in the mm-hmm. past. Now, yes, he has grown significantly as a person and a player, but you do wonder, like, if he's sitting there going, I'm trying, I'm doing everything here, I've been brilliant all season for a year, for a couple of dull weeks, but, you know, and you publicly slating me, you do got to wonder if he's sitting there going, all right, maybe uh, that contract extension, I will see, mate. I'm not sure Ulster could afford his wages these days, though. Uh, well, that, that's, well, <laughs> well, they did turn down a big knacks, so, um, I mean, they might have a wee space in their, uh, their, their budget for him. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think any more on the Lions before we move on? No. All good. We'll take that one off the agenda, right? Um, Scotland's tour. We, you know, we could have a lovely chat this evening about Scotland Day versus England Day down at Doncaster, but the game was called off because coronavirus has has ripped through the. I mean, I say ripped through. There's like five of them gone down with coronavirus in Scotland camp. The camp has been disbanded. Everyone's been sent home, isolated, including the coaches. Um, yeah. You would hope. I think at this stage there there is they're still hopeful that the tour to Romania and Georgia will go ahead, John. Yeah, they are they are still hopeful, but again, I, I think you know maybe come on. So Mark Dodson in the press today was saying that you know it's a waiting game. It is a waiting game. They've done everything they can do. They followed all the guidance. Um, that's why the camp's been disbanded. You know, it's we've seen seen these camps where you stay in bubble, but. It still finds a way. So they've done everything they can do, and let, let's hope it can go ahead. It would be a real shame for the guys involved if it couldn't, uh, but ultimately health health is, is paramount, and we, we have to be we have to be mindful of that fact. I'm not sure. I don't sure I enjoyed you describing coronavirus in the same terms as love. Like, coronavirus <laughs> finds a way, and you know, love finds a way. Coronavirus finds a way. I'm sure there's a song there, boys. Could we make a new Richard Curtis film, Coronavirus, actually? (laughs) 
Oh, so we could definitely do three funerals in a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Can you do a wedding then? I don't know, but it'd be a small one. Uh, Gordon <laughs> McCracken again says, we've lost Finley Christie. We haven't yet, Gordon. Let's let's not hold on to that until, he, until he's actually bloody calf. Let's not hold, let's not lose hope. Um, but cancellation means, means Fraser Dingwall remains in our grasp. Yes, we can uh, we can Gary Graham him. <laughs> we've got Cammy Redpath him as the as the uh, expression goes. Um you were mentioning Mark Dodson there, um, John. Scottish Rugby has unveiled its strategic approach for the next three years as the sport emerges from the COVID-19 pandemic, so says the press relief release. Um, and the uh, it's centred on three themes of well-being, women and winning, famously the three Ws. Um, it sounds like something after, out of Alan Partridge's bouncing back. Um, there is, I mean, you know, we... we we are harsh on the SRU at times, and I think it's just, you know, we're trying to keep everybody honest, I think, and we're critical friends, I think, is is probably the uh, the most accurate description I think I could give to what we try to do here, you know. Um, we, we had a good chat about the Super 6 the other week, didn't we, Craig? We had a good debate back and forward. I think Absolutely, we ended up deciding yeah. that the coverage was a good thing. Yeah. I've heard on the grapevine that, that, that Premier Sports actively sought out the, you know, the the, the program rights for that and other and are interested in further program rights for Scottish rugby, which is a good thing. I think this a magazine program would be fantastic for if, if yeah after you know we obviously you know John's not going to be involved after he absolutely slated them the other week, but the rest of us you know <laughs> we think the fact we think the coverage is fantastic and we absolutely love to be involved. fabulous yeah absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stick to my Manscaped sponsorship. You guys can go off and pastures <laughs> new if you want. <laughs> I know I know where my loyalties lie. The the um I suppose though Johnny that the focus is commendable because this idea of you know well being women and winning and winning I suppose is put in the terms of the pro what you know the success of the pro teams it's it feels like there's a move to the focus being in the right places. I think so. I think the things that they've picked out are really really good, and I think that they will help the game. It's good to see that they've said they're going to commit funds to making the pro teams competitive. Because at the end of the day, if you want to watch rugby in Scotland, you can go to, at the very most, six Scotland games a year. Uh, Or you can go to, you can now go to nine home games of each pro team. So that's, that's where the opportunity for people to get into consistently going to watch rugby comes from it's from Glasgow and Edinburgh and and if we could put a bit of money into them doing well in this new tournament I think it's it's something that's worth doing because it's going to get a bit more interest and it it maintains an interest a bit longer because you've got obviously the full length of the season rather than five weeks of the Six Nations and three weeks of the autumn tests you you can hold people's attention for a bit longer but to do that you've got to have a good product so putting the money in that I think is going to going to be really good and obviously it's about time that they committed to putting a decent bit of money behind the women's game as well, because that's been coming for a long time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's a suggestion, Craig, that the certainly Mark Dodson did a press conference. I think there's a, if anyone wants to read it, there's 10 questions for Mark Dodson that's on the offside line, which is well worth reading. It covers quite a lot of ground. But from the women's side of things, there's a suggestion that they're exploring options for a professional setup in conjunction with the other unions, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast is a, you know, can only be a good thing for, for, for women's rugby in Scotland. 
yeah, the, the, we. I'm just really pleased to see, or see them go through the process of saying that they're going to that they're going to take women's rugby seriously. Um, we desperately need to to bring our players up to pro standard and pay them. Um, we have we also have to have a look at the 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 way they capture players for the Scotland team because it's very much based on just the Premiership, um, as in the Prem teams, I should say, um, and. They, it used to be very much they would come along to all the rugby clubs in the local uh, across that have have women's teams and then say see that and then they'd have a word with the player that looks looks good on the field and say you need to go and play for an Edinburgh team or you need to go and play for for this team and that player would have to go and play if you want to play for Scotland they'd have to go and start playing for these these higher level level teams they need to bring in. They they have a slight setup in the girls' side of things with Caledonia and the and the sort of the the uh, the regions, but they don't have it in the in the senior women's game at this moment in time. So it's very much a you have to go and play for a prem team, and then you'll, you you put your you're in the shop window for for Scotland. Um, so if they if they open it out a little bit, which they're trying to do at the moment, and they give a little a little bit more, um, uh, they 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 open up the funnel as such to capture more. Um, more more women players. They're gonna they're gonna get a higher level coming in through the Scotland the Scotland team process, and then hopefully they'll get pro contracts. But I really do believe that there should be at least one pro pro women's team, whether it's in Edinburgh or Glasgow, playing in either the English Premiership um, setup that they have at the moment and call it a, a UK wide Premiership uh, um, uh, setup, something like that to to um, have save people like Jade Conkle having to go down to Harlequins um, and look for move, move so far away to look for a high level of rugby to make sure that they, you know the, that we're capturing them as much as we can. Sorry, it's a personal um, tirade there, but that's uh, something that uh, I believe a lot in. You know. Yeah, and John, it's interesting. I think you know that it's interesting. I think that the this idea of professional women's rugby because for what a prof- what a professional women's rugby Pay, players are paid is an utter pittance and so it's you know that even though they may have a professional contract they still have to supplement that I think as Rona Lloyd has talked before on on Twitter about the fact that you know a, a match appearance fee for a Scottish male international rugby player is you know three four probably three four five times as much as she will make in a year as a professional rugby player down at Island. Yeah, there is there is still a glaring inequality with regards to it, and um, obviously we've all spoken at length on this podcast regarding our desire for for the women's game to be better funded, um, to be essentially better marketed, to be you know they use the term exploited, exploit the market, but it's more than that. It's about creating a and it's a, it's a real opportunity for Scottish rugby to, to kind of start to drive um, some success in the women's game. And if they invest properly, it'll be great to see, you know, the next generation. Because we've all, we've all kind of looked on, we pride at the, the internationals that we've got just now and have had over the last few years. And there's been some amazing players have come through the system. And the more that professionalism comes into it, the more chance you've got of developing these players and them becoming 
um, you know, player of the tournament at the Six Nations or, or competing with those English players who are fully professional. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's really really positive. And I, I me and Craig were talking beforehand that it's great to see a commitment to that. But let's see the colour of the money first. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. I just watch it before we move back. To, I want to circle back to Ember in Glasgow, Johnny. And um, we've got a question from Bruce Hitchison here. He wants to know: Has your laddie had his lolly yet? <laughs> yeah, he he got it after like maybe forty-eight hours of trying. I gave it to him, so he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a reference back to Dodmaster. We did that um, on Friday night to raise money for My Name Is Doddy. We've had a tweet from the My Name Is Doddy Foundation who who watched it back finally, um, and rather than suing us, have full full heartedly supported it, the efforts. <laughs> Um, so was, you can go. Touch and go. You can, <laughs> I think the board of press is going to talk about suing you, maybe. We can run the story. It's their own fault. Actually, yeah, it's actually more Bruce Eason that they're going to be. Uh, they're going to be suing. So if you go to justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Dodmaster, you can uh, you can donate to still donate there until the end of August. And um, we, we're, we're slowly creeping up towards the 4,000 mark. If we can raise 4,000 pounds by the end of August, that'll be absolutely fantastic. Um, in terms of the pro teams then, I kind of want to circle back to that a little bit. Um, John, I'll come to you. That uh, the, There is an element, I think, that, we get the complaint every year, don't we, that Murrayfield, where are all these fans that turn up to Murrayfield every year for the Scotland Games? Where are they every week for Glasgow and Edinburgh? And the answer is they're all watching club rugby because there's no bloody interest in pro rugby during the rest of the year is the answer for most of them because that's the way a lot of the, the, the tickets are sold. So I suppose part of the part of the challenge for the SIU is how do you, how do you get people that are invested in their clubs who are maybe sceptical about Scotland having professional teams in the first place how do you get them to to invest in, in Glasgow and Ember teams that you know Glasgow won the Pro 12 once and occasionally they reach the playoff finals Ember sometimes have a bit of luck in Europe but generally we've got two middling to average pro teams if we're honest how, you know the only way to I suppose get people who only are interested in club rugby to be interested in pro rugby is if, if, if our teams are successful consistently yeah, no, I think I think there's two two a twofold thing there. You're absolutely right. The the quickest way to get people involved in the pro club game, as you saw with Glasgow, Glasgow went from having a thousand men in a dug at their games to regularly not having you know, I think they sold out fifteen or sixteen consecutive home games at Scottsdale. And there was there was clamours for more. We we needed more space at Scottsdale, we needed more it's probably not going to be the case. Actually, they've probably reached a bit of a, a cap. But success success gets people involved. People like to come along and see a winning team. The other part of it, though, and this is really, really important for me, is we need to be seeing those players from the club game making their way into the pro teams. We need to be, you know, there's nothing quite beats that pride that people see. You know, you guys are all involved in clubs that have had Scotland internationals. Nothing beats that pride in seeing someone go from being a Colt, being a you know, being a mini, all the way up to playing at Glasgow, playing at Edinburgh, playing for Scotland. So that's where, and we talked about the Super Six. That's where there has to be again. That really has to be utilised properly because it's a real opportunity to get people invested in that pathway that they aren't invested in just now. Yeah, and it's interesting. We've got obviously we've got Johnny and Craig tonight, and. 
Um, I don't know, Craig, you might you might not see the same link with the Glasgow, but how are Fife contingent, Johnny? Because you're a Glasgow fan. Within the how are Fife contingent, they've come through to Glasgow. There must be a real connection there for you personally to see the Horns, to see Chris Fusaro playing professional. You have to have come through the house system into Glasgow, as opposed to somebody you know being picked up at the age of three taken off to private school and appear pop out an academy you know there's no romance in that is there i guess yeah no it, it, it's huge and, and john's absolutely right that's that's how you get people interested because if you can go down to scotsdale or go, go down to murrayfield and say like and i like i do i've i've taken my son to watch glasgow and and we watch pete and george play and we watch fuzzy play and and he's he'll be at how many's this year and i sit there and say he plays for the same team as you. He played for the same team as you. He came from your team. He come. He came. He comes from you and Dad's team. And it's like if you can get people interested in that, that's how you build a connection. You build a connection through the clubs, through the pro teams, and it, it's being able to see that there's a there's a route to go from your club to a Super Six team to Glasgow to Edinburgh to Scotland, and it, it's you've got to get that sort of seamless transition and that's how you get people interested in, in all levels. And it could work backwards as well. Like there's there's people around here who maybe haven't been massively interested in the club game who will see George Horn and if you're maybe all sitting down the pub, you can go, oh, George Horn, used to play for how? And now all of a sudden they were previously only interested in Scotland. Now they're interested in the club team. Then it doesn't have to be linear. You can go interested in your club, interested in your pro team, interested in Scotland, or you can go interested in Scotland find out somebody played for your club there, then you get interested in Glasgow Red, but after that, it's just, it's working out a way of tying it all together so that you can, so you know what's happening at all the levels. I mean, Craig, New Zealand have always been very good at that, and I think it's something, Jim, to, kind of like be the old guy at the back of the bar, drunk and kind of like talking about the old days, but it's something Jim Telfer advocated for was this, to have that connection between the clubs and the regions and the Super Six teams, it, it kind of... That's the New Zealand way is everyone goes back to the club. You know, Dan Carter went back and played for his club at the end of his career. You know, it was the equivalent of going back to Howard Fife or Berwick to, you know, to play at 10 at the end, you know, at the age of 38 or whatever he is. Yeah, that's true. But then in, in, in New Zealand, um, rugby is, is the game, um, whereas we are competing with football. Um, and we are a minority sport in Scotland, although we're growing. Um, so it is a difficult situation. I, I one of the, the the one of I know it's throwing money away, but it's it, one of the biggest things that that I thought Edinburgh had had a finger on was they used they used to do a season ticket for fifty quid um, uh, for your for, for under sixteens, um, and they also if you brought your child, you know, for an adult paying, you got you could have a free child's ticket when we're in Ed, when we're in Murrayfield, you know, when we're rattling around inside Murrayfield, and that is bringing. You know, the only way you're going to build these crowds, you're going to you're going to build these teams, is getting people down to watch it live. Um, because fair enough, it's it's fantastic to have all this coverage, including the Super Six on TV. But all that, a lot of that is 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 um, lending itself to somebody sitting with a carry out from a local shop, um, drinking a beer, watching their team on the on the TV rather than actually physically going to see going down to the park to watch them. Um, so I, I think it has to be hand in hand. 
Um, but I, I I agree with both both John and Johnny um, regarding that. You know, we need to see that link. The link. We are a very very proud team at the Howard Fife. In fact, I think we've got a we've we've got a um, uh, a link to Jamie Ritchie. He played for a year for us um, uh, when he was a, when he was just coming out of Strathallan School. So. You know, we try to maybe I don't know. We we try to put our arm around a few a few Scotland players, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's um, uh, but we have a proud a proud link, and and that is one thing I think. If you go down to Kelso, you go into um, Jed, you go into Dundee High, they all have their links to Scottish rugby. In the past, what we need to ensure that they have their links to Scottish rugby in the future. Yeah, and I think that's it because you think about all the shirts that are on the wall and all these clubs. You know, I remember as a, a youngster, you'd go to every club. Every club had a inter-district shirts. They had Scottish, mm. you know, international shirts. A, you know, A level at full international level, and it's it's inspiring. I think for young players to see that, and you wonder how many now have that gap, John, between you know maybe maybe the two thousands, maybe the you know the early two thousands. There might be a few shirts on the wall, but but whether there's still shirts on the wall because a lot of the players don't have that link back. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it's probably something that's maybe started to keep out a wee bit of of rugby in Scotland. Um, and I think there's a, a massive opportunity there to kind of revitalise that, re-engage that. And but you know, ultimately, it all comes down to money. And if there's, it has to be investment, and it has to be investment at grassroots. Has to be investment all the way through the, you know, the pathway system, the the academies, everything. We're getting there. We are actually starting to get there. You know, 20, 20 odd years later, professionalism. We're finally cracked it a wee bit. But we need more money involved. It's always going to be about money, and only then will you start to see those um, those grassroots clubs able to keep hold of those guys who are going to play internationally, who are going to are, you know, going to want to represent the pro clubs, because it's very well to say, oh, they played here when they were five, they played here when they were seven, but it's seeing them as an under-16, you know, watching, we all remember the footage of watching a young Stuart Hogg tearing it up down in the borders with his Bebo haircut, and there, there's a connection there that gets gets lost if they go off to an academy. And... I genuinely, genuinely cannot say about Stuart Hogg, can he do it on a wet night at Berwick because he's played in the Berwick Sevens. <laughs> there you go. See? This footage of him, like you said, his Bebo haircut at 16 <laughs> playing in the Berwick Sevens. I'm tearing it up as well. He was, I, I believe he was playing 10, though, which I what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any more on the SRU 10 questions? Do you want to touch on Super 8, John, or are we going to leave that uh, no, I, I mean, I, I noted that. That's that's an interesting. Commitment. If Glasgow wanted a franchise, I'm sure we'd fund one. I think uh, was the, <laughs> I might be paraphrasing that, there. That seems to be the suggestion. <laughs> yes, I mean, I particularly liked that. Um, I'm just pulling it up just now. Um, he indicated, obviously, super super eight would be the start, um, but he then goes on to list. Um, we would be looking at you know a franchise in Aberdeen, a franchise in Dundee, or Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Famously, that famous conurbation of Glas Glasdee. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, hang on, I don't know what you're moaning about. You've got air. You should be happy with air. <laughs> it's so close to Glasgow. You should just be that with that. I mean, yeah. uh, absolutely is. Yeah, it's a beautiful drive down the down the motorway uh, <laughs> to, to to go and hang out down in deepest darkest Ayrshire. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Any other news from any of you before we go and do hands in the ruck? No? Good. Yeah. Let's do hands in the ruck then. Yes, it's hands in the ruck time or any other business section of the podcast. Andy Lone says, great to see Tim Swinson win player of the season at Saracens. Um, Tim Swinson, of course, part of the group of players that went out drinking in London and had an entire <laughs> international game of rugby cancelled. <laughs> but still, player of the season at Saracens. I mean, that is that is fairly exciting, Johnny, that Tim Swinson, you know, what is Tim Swinson now, 58? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you forget how many Scottish players there are at Saracens until they keep they just keep popping up. Now, Callum we were, Hunt Hill. Yeah. yeah. And there was there was a uh, highlights of this it must be the second leg of the championship final. Uh, and it said uh, Duncan Taylor sets up Sean Maitland for a great try for Saracens. I was like, geez, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Tim Swinson's kick? Yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously, obviously, you get fined for that afterwards. But what a strike of the ball is! I mean, ah, push. If if Glasgow were needing a ten, then there would be a place for him there. That was, it was spectacular. <laughs> and I love that he's been tearing it up this season, having retired for for two days, um, which was quite quite galling actually as a Glasgow fan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've retired. Oh, well, we've been relegated to the championship and there's no salary cap here. All right, well, I'll reduce it then. <laughs> He's still working as a union rep as well. That's good going. Mm, uh, I see not the see not the RPA or the, the Scottish RPA um, chairman or something. Or He's heavily the involved. The in Scottish it, Players Association, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. John, your hands in the ruck while I dig some out from social media. Yeah, so I think... Obviously, we're on a Lions show, uh, so thinking about the Lions, uh, uh, and I'm sure many people have touched on this, but the the thermonuclear take that resulted from Adam Beard being called up in place of Alan Jones and Josh Navidi being called up to replace Tipperick. Um, it was really interesting to see the vitriol that immediately came out and was thrown at these guys. Look, let's let's consider them in, in separate ways. Josh Navidi is a very, very talented rugby player. He's also a seven. Tipperick was a seven. Tipperick needs to be replaced. Who's next off the, the rank? Probably, probably Navidi, actually. So no issues there. People then have an issue with Adam Beard because they're like, oh, he, don't, he doesn't even get in the Wales team. And he's, he's this and that. People, he does. He actually does. He plays for Wales. And, you know, Gatlin knows him. So that helps, and you're looking for... People have very, very conveniently forgotten the whole ethos of the squad. When it was announced, we all went, hmm, really? And there was a lot of shocks in there, but it's because it's it's a squad designed for a game plan, and Adam Beard is coming back in, and he's going to be part of that game plan. It's not about, like, oh, the next off the rank is... You know this player or that player. It's about who set who suits the game plan best, and they've adjudged that that's going to be weird. So, no issue for me. I we think the problem. Playing. I I think my main problem. I think it's a ZZ top problem in that Adam Beard does not have a beard, but Jake Ball has a beard. So people think that Jake Ball has been called up. This is true, and that and that would be problematic. But 
no, I, th- I mean, Beard's a, Beard's a decent player. He's not going to trouble the test team, let's be honest, right? He's there, he's there as a dirt tracker at best, and he'll hold some tackle bags, but he'll, he'll act as opposition for those players who are the test players. He's been picked for a reason. So let's let's go away from the Johnny Gray. Johnny Gray's been doing this and doing that. Yeah, I would love to see Johnny Gray get called up, but he didn't suit what they were looking for. So these things happen. Yeah, Johnny, you, we're you were... A, yeah, we played a team that drove a 35-metre mall from open play in the World <laughs> Cup two years ago. Adam Beard has got levers, the likes of which I don't think I've rarely ever seen. He is yeah. one of the most nuisance players at, at malls and lineouts in the world, probably. So when you see him get called up, okay, initially a lot of people are saying, oh, well, what about James Ryan? Well, he's injured for a start. Yep. Um, what about Johnny Gray? What about this player? What about that player? If you look at what Adam Beard's skill set actually is and what he's really, really good at, which is making a nuisance of himself in lineouts and malls, and then look at South Africa, of course, of course you could take Adam Beard. It's basically a no-brainer. Yeah. And he can, he can, we can make him a beard out of Josh Navidi's hair because you know he needs a hair not <laughs> looking like a salt looking like a uh, someone who's just left school and going around Fiji in a gap year. I think it looks like he's just crawled out of a tunnel underneath the uh, that that bypass that they were. Yeah. <laughs> God, I sound old like my dad. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though. Like again, we talked we talked before about people's people's uh, reactions to things being almost maybe nationality driven and there has been an extreme reaction to this because it's two Welsh players replacing two Welsh players I think we just need to really park that part of it because this is a squad now, this is who they went with and they were the next the next best picks Yep, I think that's, those are, that's I think we'd all agree with that um, Johnny, your hands in the ruck People complaining that they're bored of hearing about Exeter Chiefs, right? And and I get it. I sympathise with it because I'm bored of saying it. If you think this is boring, try having your culture used as a cartoon mascot for 100 years. That's boring. And if we stop talking about it, it starts to go away. So I'm going to, unfortunately, I'm sorry, I'm going to continue every time Exeter comes up, every time they lose a final, every time they win a final, every time BT tweets how great the Tomahawk Chop is, I'm going to talk about it every time. And I'm sorry you're bored of it. I'm bored of saying it, but the only way that it's going to go away is if it stays in the conscious. That's that's the only way to do it. But isn't it racist, Johnny, to hand out Guinness hats on on person (laughs) Patrick's (laughs) way? And that's the same thing, isn't it? Lucky Charms, but when when will they cancel the Leprechaun on Lucky Charms boxes? <laughs> Where does it end? Where does it end? Cancel Lucky Charms. <laughs> I'm already starting that Twitter page right now, guys. When you start cancelling lepre- targeting Leprechauns as well, Johnny McGinty, then you can get outraged about people <laughs> appropriating First Nations con- imagery. <laughs> No, I think that's, I think it's I think it is, and I know people get I think we've probably lost the, it's fair to say we've probably lost some listeners on this podcast when you know over some of the more woke content that we do and you know it's I don't really care to be honest because if people don't want to listen to it then that's that's their choice and that's you know that's how how freedom of expression works if you don't listen to us you can, you can walk and we probably are speaking to a bit of an echo chamber but I think 
On the other hand, I've also heard from people who've listened to this podcast and listened to other podcasts who have very slowly been talked around. And from a personal experience, and, you know, it's kind of thinking about this with the football being back on the telly, I've stood in Hamden and I've sung the Jimmy Hill song. And I knew at the time that I was singing the Jimmy Hill song that it was wrong to sing the Jimmy Hill song, but I still sang it because every round me was it and, you, you know, you feel part of the crowd. I wouldn't sing it now. And I knew at the time it was wrong to sing it. And I know now it was wrong to sing it. There was probably a point in the past where I thought it was okay and quite funny to sing it. But you learn and you move on and you grow as a person and that that that's that's how it works. And I think unless we continually have these conversations, you don't challenge your own thinking and, and you don't challenge other people's thinking as well. Uh, it, it has to be a, a, a pronged attack. And I think I think we're at the stage of um I would you know, we need to bring attention to the Exeter, Exeter for Change group. And we need to support them, um, but they also need to start talking about why are the RFU playing a tomahawk chop at full full chat in Twickenham, because they wouldn't. Um, there are many other things they wouldn't play at Twickenham, um, and I think it's absolutely. It was I I, I lost a bit of it like um, last week regarding this when we're talking about the, the semi final, but again, we're we're seeing this boys club blazer attitude that is just needing knocked on the head and younger people in it. And if, if I can do anything is encourage more people to get involved in, in the administration side of rugby teams, rugby clubs, so they can then get into, into the, the SRU, the RFU, the, the IRFU and make a change because it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. That kind of brings me out of my hands in the ruck. There was a report that was out this week by, it's called the Five Councils Report, and it was um, UK Sport, Sport England, Sport Scotland, Sport Wales, and Sport Northern Ireland came together in September 2020, and they wanted to try and tackle racism and racial equality in sport and try and kind of look into it. And they commissioned two bits of work. So one was analysis um, of lived experiences and it's. I can encourage everybody to read this on the Sport Scotland website, and it is well worth a read because there are huge problems within sport in Scotland, and rugby doesn't. No one sport gets singled out in this, but I think when you apply it to Scottish rugby and the structures that they're in, exactly what you were saying, Craig, about who's involved in the administration of the sport. It, rugby absolutely fits within the problems that the reports identify and the people within the reports are, are talking about. I mean, the, you know, in, in the Scottish report, you've got people talking about, you know, the socioeconomic criteria that, that you've got somebody talking about how they used to run free sessions that were always really popular and people would come along to these free sessions and it was, they were really, they worked really well. And the moment they started charging £3 a week, two people turned up one week. You've got the, the people talk about there being no representation for them within the sport at a coaching level. They don't see themselves reflected in the players that are playing. They don't see themselves reflected in the structures. Now, you look at the SIU council and you look at the SIU, um, is it the council and the, the name's going to come to me in a minute. There's the SIU council and then there's the other one, the SIU board. You look at that, it's all old white men and a couple of women. Right, so you you tell somebody that's you know, maybe even you tell a woman to get involved. I mean, it, it was it was fantastic that we had a, you know the first female 
you know president of the SRU. That was that was a, and, you know that was a great breakthrough for for Scottish rugby. But I don't see that carrying through. That feels like a one-off because there's there's only two or three involved in the council and the board now. And you look at the profile of the board, and it's it's all white in Scottish rugby, and the council particularly is all old white men and a few women. And you think, well, that's that's because it, at the administration level in Scottish rugby, it's all old white men. And, and maybe the old white men are the only guys that got the time to dedicate to do it. Or maybe it's that, like you said, Craig, more young people need to get involved, but that in itself is a challenge. And how inviting, I think Scottish rugby needs to reflect on how inviting are we to ethnic minorities in Scotland? How easy is it for them to come along to a club and feel welcome and feel part of it we've we've seen the problems before in Scottish rugby with with racial abuse it's been widely reported that that's been an issue when teams have gone and played away fixtures have been guys quite like rightly you know reprimanded for it whether you know and then the report talks about you know whether or not that's enough though whether or not the bans are enough whether or not the sanctions are enough because there's always an excuse isn't there you know all, all the reports of it is always I didn't mean it was in the heat of the moment and you know, you think about what how the, how the person that's subject to that, or even somebody that's looking in outside inward to Scottish sport, feels about that reaction of oh, we've reduced it because it was out of character, or it's too, it? there's too much there's too much. Oh, it was changing room chat, it was banter, it was this, it was that. Going back to your original point of um, of board members, how do the the board members on Scottish rugby and uh, 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 get themselves appointed onto that board by going around all the rugby clubs and gaining support from other old white men and blazers, and 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 so those are the the things. These things are not going to change now. The RFU have supposedly put things in place with bringing in Hugo Monier um, and and his group to try and put a case together and and to try and change from within. But that you know that needs we need to be d- doing that. Not just because someone is making a, a huge point on on uh, on social media and on television and etc. Et within the media, we need to be looking for real people. And it goes back to the whole thing that John and 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 um, uh, Keith Russell, the points that were made in the Keith Russell uh, issue that we had, etc. We're not looking at a diverse group of the the Scottish public to be involved in rugby clubs. Um, it's still looked upon as um, you know, up at the of Fife, it's looked upon as a farmers' club. It's all farmers that are that, that are that are you know that are involved in the club. Now we've got we've got players coming from you know, for example, we've got the women's team that is that is that that, that has been put together from from many different backgrounds. We've got um, uh, the local army base. We have a lot of players who come from that that are that are a great mix of, of different races and different different playing skills, and and. We need to learn to embrace that um, and to really push that. It's no longer going to be you have to go and get a scholarship from a any young person who is not wealthy has to get a scholarship to a posh school to become a, a good rugby player. Yeah, there's an interesting quote. This is a young sports participant and sports panel representative said, everyone will say I'm happy to be more inclusive, but they generally don't understand why they aren't inclusive and that's where the problem lies. And I think it comes back to what we were saying about you know, earlier, John, when we were talking about this during the Autumn Nations test, where it's all very well to stand there, everyone stand quiet with a head bowed, to take a moment to say racism is bad. But unless you're actually doing something tangible to tackle racism within sport and inequality within 
the sport of rugby in Scotland, then it's a hollow gesture because I look at the SLU, I've looked at the SLU website again today and you know, I wrote an article on the blog a, a few months ago about about this issue, about how Scottish rugby needs to do more. And at that point, the I looked at the, the SLU have got an equality, tackling equalities plan that runs to 2020. So it's already out of date. And it said, we are committed to providing regular updates on this. The last update was from quarter two of 2018. So they've had, you know, the, the, the Black Lives Matters issues were raised, you know, early 2020. Any organization, most organizations by now have caught up to that. And uh, like I said, like Craig was saying, the RFU have done stuff, have got people on board. It's, this is an issue that, I mean, I'm ho- hopefully the Sports Scotland um, report will force the SRU to engage with it, John, because that's where a lot of the funding comes for rugby. And 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 you would imagine now Sports Scotland are going to say, we want you to demonstrate that you're doing something now before we will give you anything or before we work with you. <clears throat> yeah, that's absolutely how it should be. Um, there needs to be accountability. And, you know, the, uh, before we've had, we've had people mention in the past as well, we are aware that it's interesting that there's four white mostly bald guys sitting <laughs> on a podcast chatting about rugby and you know what that is this we, we are a bit of a microcosm of of uh, what what the diversity in rugby looks like and we it doesn't mean that we're going to stop campaigning and stop talking about diversity and as yeah people can criticize and say well you are four white guys what do you know well we know that it's wrong that it's four white guys sitting here talking about this there should be a much more diverse fan base and we need to encourage that and we need people to be involved and that starts all the way down at that club level it starts with that welcome that walk through the door that knowing that you're going to be safe walking through the door and people don't feel that and we need to get get that back if we're going to do it you know, if, if there's money involved or, you know, however we incentivize it, that's fine. But it has to be tangible action, real action. And it has to be, it has to start now. It has to start tonight when people go into the rugby club tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon or whenever. It has to start now. Yeah. Craig, have we done your hands in the rock already? Have we covered it? Well, yeah, because I've got two f- frivolous hands in the ruck now because the first one is Johnny McGinty stealing my hands in the ruck. <laughs> uh, and the second one is um, as we're going into a new season and we are it's more of an appeal from me, to be perfectly honest. Um, as we're going into a new season for the, uh, in the next uh, couple of months, can we sort out the sizing on uh, Macron's rugby gear? Because it's absolutely <laughs> bloody ridiculous. Having, you know, I'm sorry, when I'm looking at 5XL, I'm thinking that's going to drown me. And then I have, <laughs> then I have to take it back. It's ridiculous. Johnny McGinty would fit into a 5XL just for Macron. <laughs> and he's 12 player. It's ridiculous. And we need to, I'm sorry, but it's it's fattest and I don't like it. It's, we need to start a revolution from within. So you have sizes for props. Yeah. A separate well, section want- of the shop. Well, we've got salad for props, and that's chips. So we've got. <laughs> why can't we have rugby gear for props? It, does, it the... seems it seems quite perverse, doesn't it? That they charge more for the player fit tops. It's like I'm paying more to look worse. Why? Why? Why, <laughs> why would I go down that route? 
ridiculous. I think do you know what? It's it's the likes of it's the likes of Alan Dell that have ruined props, Craig. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> deserves the to most be that beautiful thin. prop I've ever seen him. In, <laughs> in fact, even even Rory, mind you, uh, 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 there's two props that have surprised me. Rory Sutherland is looking absolutely fabulous. I have yeah. to say, in a Lions yeah. top. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, I then saw Xander Fagerson and his budgie smugglers, and that's just ridiculous. He needs to cover that up. <laughs> He's what we call an old school prop. That's a proper prop. Yeah, absolutely. It's telling, isn't it, that you had in previous Scotland squads, you had Alan Dell and Gordon Reid playing the same position. And <laughs> it's, I mean, comparators should not be drawn. I tell yeah. Alan Dell was a beautiful is is a beautiful He's man. He's a beautiful I man. I know. Yeah. Mind you, that that doesn't hold a candle to Ross Ford. <laughs> right. He said with such passion, Craig. Does, <laughs> we're at an hour and a half now, guys. Does anyone <laughs> want, does anyone want to bring in the elephant in the room slash beer queue? Who? The beer queue. The money well, I've heard, got. No, I've got this is the next one. Here we go. Right. So hands in there from Alan McDonald. He's, he's listening to that. I, I didn't forget Alan. Johnny's got a, Johnny's got views on this. He's going to lose some loses some listeners. <laughs> Alan says entitled crud biscuits moaning about not being able to get a beer at Murrayfield at the price paid for a ticket. Here's a news flash: sponge brains. The price of a ticket is for the game. You choose to pay it, and we're crowing about winning the draw. If queuing for a beer ruins your experience of a first game at Murrayfield post lockdown, while seeing the Lions on home soil, maybe you need to examine your relationship with alcohol. Alan did say he was heading to work tomorrow, so maybe wasn't. I didn't have a clear head. Johnny, you engaged <laughs> with this discussion with Alan. I think it was fairly friendly. You were you were at yeah. the match. How yeah. did you? How, what's your take on this? Uh, to be honest, I think exactly the fact that it is the Lions is is something you kind of have to take into account here because, as it stands at the moment, that was a friendly on Saturday. We don't even know if they're going to get a cap for it. They're not. It would be a little bit different at the Six Nations and it is annoying at the Six Nations and I missed I missed the first 10 minutes or so on Saturday I missed Alan Wynn's injury uh, because I was queuing for a beer uh, a Six Nations game I probably wouldn't have done that but outside of the Barbarians the Lions is a team more than any other that's about the whole experience so the whole I got accused on Twitter the other week of not not understanding the spirit of the Lions but but I know this much about the Lions is that the whole idea of the Lions is that they are a touring team. You get your chance once every four years to go halfway around the world with them, put on some colonially questionable costumes, go on the beers for a few weeks, make some noise at the tests. And as far as I understood it, the idea was to bring a bit of that atmosphere to Murrayfield on Saturday to people who don't have the opportunity to spend 15 grand going to South Africa for a month or whatever. So... I'd say at that game, more than probably most other games at Murrayfield, being able to get a couple of beers and soak up the atmosphere and stuff is part of the experience. That's what that's what we were going for. We were going to watch a tour team play an exhibition game. And it's, and it's about more than just the game. It's about enjoying yourself. There was loads of people in costumes there. They made a big deal when we got our emails about our tickets saying we've got three fan villages. We've got 25 food outlets. We've got bars. They named... The drink suppliers by name, and that's that was not cheap. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> the, so we had an email about the London Pride Bar and the, whatever it was, Gin Company Bar. So they'd advertised that as part of the experience, and it is. It's a, 
an essential part of the Lions experience. So I think people are within their right to say, this isn't what we expected. And we, we'd invited people from all four unions to come to Murrayfield for this Lions experience, and we dropped the ball big time by, by making it the way it was, I think. Yeah, I can understand. I can, I can understand Alan's point, but it it also seems to come to me from that. And, and it's not just Alan's complaining about. It. There's been a few people have, have raised this point. It, it comes from, or seems to come from, the same place as people who complain about people who getting up in the middle of matches to go for a beer. It's like you're at the rugby. People want to go and drink beer, and you know, I think if you're that focused on a rugby match, watch it from home on the telly. Most people who go to watch live rugby are there for the, like Johnny said, it's the day experience, the day you get soak up the atmosphere. And part of that is, you know, middle of the game, things, you know, the game's a little bit dull. I am going to get up and go and walk and get around in because nothing's happening. I sat through that 9-9 draw between England and Scotland at Murrayfield. And I, you know, we all got up a few, a fair few times to go and get some drinks. I've done that as well, even when it was carling they were serving in plastic bottles. <laughs> I actually I had to drink that. The I best was... thing they had was the red wine with the lids on it. That was quite good. Oh, oh yeah, my dad. the plastic bottles. I thought I thought that was a that was a decent. And I know it's not environmentally friendly and stuff, but it makes it easier to like not spill everywhere. Well, I don't my... mind that. It's just it's, it was carling. My dad was a big fan of the red wine technique because I think I think he's looking at the percentage to pounds ratio. You, and also the amount of liquid you've got to consume, I think you know it's 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 a sensible approach. But no, I think you know I, I can understand people are frustrated that they they what they didn't win the ballot, but I think everyone knew they were taking a risk when they bought the tickets and, and went in for them. Um, it's different to people who maybe have you know mobility issues who were stuck up in the gods who you know needed a pitch side seat. But I agree, I'm with you, Johnny. I think you go to if you go to the rugby and you go to any rugby match at club level or pro super six pro level whatever you're going for the experience and part of that is you know mid-game i'm going to get up and i'm going to need the toilet i'm going to get up and i'm going to go and get a beer because that's what i'm there to do i'm there to enjoy myself i'm not there to sit and analyze a rugby game play for play and sit and watch it play for play i want to do that i'll sit and watch it on the telly and i'll pause rewind and you know yeah. all of that kind yeah. of stuff and i think some people seem to suggest that especially because it was the Lions, it should have been more reverence and you should have been sitting there watching the whole thing. And I personally think because it was the Lions, it should have been more like an experience because that's what the Lions is. Yeah. Outside of outside of sitting for an actual test in Joburg or Auckland or whatever, if you're with the Lions, you're with the Lions for getting a couple of beers, getting your costume on, wearing a questionable pith helmet, whatever you want to do. So I'd say rather than the the fact it was the Lions meaning you should have spent more time in your seat, I think the fact it was the Lions means you probably should have spent less. That's that's not what you're there for for a Lions tour game. Yeah. Um, Alan McDonald just says, is it obvious I'm usually driving when I'm at Murrayfield? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Alan, it is. Um, I think that's it for this week then. I think we've covered everything off. Ticked off all the items on this week's agenda, and we've we've covered all the all the hands and the rucks that we've had. Um, we'll be back next week. There's a game on Saturday, a Lions game on Saturday. So we'll the Lions be v the Lions. The Lions v the Lions. Yep. Uh, so we'll be, if that goes ahead, we'll be back to cover that on Wednesday. Pick up another bits and bobs of news. Um, we um, we'll we'll release details of when we're doing our best ever Scottish Lions 
team um, probably towards the end of July, I'd imagine, when the around the middle of the kind of when the tests are starting. Um, for the moment, though, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Johnny, Craig, and John. Goodbye, goodbye folks. <laughs>